In this week's Leeds Business Podcast, we speak to Managing Director of Sound Leisure, Chris Black. Sound Leisure are the manufacturers of one of the coolest products coming out of Leeds, jukeboxes. Chris explains how a broken piece of electronics inspired the launch of the business over 50 years ago. Chris tells us about the ups and downs of running a family business, how Brexit and COVID almost destroyed the business, the way the pub smoking ban inspired the creation of a new product division in the company, and the fascinating ebb and flow of vinyl, CD, and digital music. He also gives us a passionate explanation as to why we should encourage youngsters into a career in manufacturing. Plus, you'll also get an invite to tour the jukebox factory to see these wonderful machines and how they're built. To make sure you never miss an episode of the Leeds Business Podcast, sign up to our priority list at www.leedsbusinesspodcast.com. Everyone that signs up gets a free gift to help their business. So, let's get into what is a fascinating interview. Welcome to the latest episode of Leeds Business Podcast. And today I'm with Chris Black, Managing Director of Sound Leisure, who manufacture probably the coolest products we make in Leeds and Yorkshire. They make jukeboxes. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me. Nice to see you. Great. So, let's start with how did you get involved in jukeboxes? Oh, wow. Uh, Right, well, I came and joined our family business. My father set the business up in 1978. Uh, So I remember being a kid at eight years old. Remember going down to the factories and seeing everything being opened up and it all started and grew up as you do with a family business with really taking over the life of the family as well as trying to grow the business. It's, It's all encompassing. So I actually came to join the business just for six weeks over the school holidays when I left school, left Mount St. Mary's uh, down near the centre of Leeds in 1986, came for the summer holidays just to put me on until I went and literally did an apprenticeship. I wanted to be a painter and decorator and uh, I wanted to go learn about that. Didn't particularly like school and I just wanted to get out of there and do something with my hands. Came here for six weeks and I think 37 years later, I'm still here and uh, enjoying it. Fantastic, fantastic. And and jukeboxes, I mean, it's not the most, obviously it's one of the coolest products, but it's not the most obvious products. You know, why did, why did the family get into jukeboxes? It's something my father's always been interested in, in gramophones and it's the mechanics of how things worked. He was very mechanical as well, minded. So he studied at Leeds College uh, Polytechnic and literally one day he bumped into somebody who gave him an electronic component out of a jukebox and said, I know you're studying electronics, can you fix this for me? My dad hadn't seen anything like it and he took it to Polytechnic and uh, to see his tutors and gave it to them and said, right, what can be wrong with this? And his tutor said, I don't know what the hell it is. I've never seen anything like that. Where have you got this? It looks like it's come from, I don't know, spacecraft or something. So at that point, because of the way my dad's mind works with electronics and the same mechanics, he was he was blown away with it. And he thought, if that's an industry that's that far ahead, and these things are coming in from America mainly, and the light years in front of what we're doing in the UK, that's what he wanted to get involved with. It wasn't so much that it played music. It was just that it was electronics and it was mechanics. It was all the things he was interested in, but also it was cutting edge. And it always has been. It's remained, which is quite strange now when you see we're building vinyl jukeboxes. But over the years, we've been at the cutting edge of digital machines. We bought 
invented the world's first digital jukebox before MP3 came out. So it has done what he thought it would do. The downside to that is that you're always developing and you're always spending money. So there's a, there's a negative side to that as well. But that's what got it started, and literally it's just grown from there, really. So we've, we've like I work alongside my brother, my wife, my, my eldest son, and we're all involved, really, and you, you've, got to, you've got to love it to do it, and we do. But we're just lucky that we're, we're building a, a cool product, like you say. We've got something great to look at and listen to once it's been finished. Fantastic. fantastic. Just a couple of things you, you mentioned there. The whole concept of a family business – Tell us what are the pros and, and cons of, of working and being in a family business? I think the pros are obvious. You're in charge of your own destiny. Um, you are not answering to shareholders as such. Uh, we can make decisions based on what we believe is right for the business and for our team of people in it and also for our customers we deal with them for many years and we, we we deal with the same people for decades so i think the ethos of the business is not something that's just written down on some piece of paper somewhere or typed up and we present it it's something that we live so i think we've got the pro side is your own destiny um we're our own bosses etc the downside is you get the pressure of a quiet couple of months uh, employing 70 people, um, going through all the pain that they go through. So because we're a family business, we're involved with a lot of our team, and especially over the last few years with COVID, etc., people have gone through a lot of different things. So we need to support them, um, which is a positive as well. But as I say, we it's you're more involved i believe as a family business um obviously me and my brother were brothers so we can have a good argument as well uh, but we can still go for a beer afterwards if we need to my dad and i think in a family business you probably say things that you wouldn't if it was all corporate and you had to follow the the, the company line you can say what you say here and uh, which is also positive to me i don't like sort of like yes men and i don't like people just sitting back so but You've just got to, if you talk to any family business, um, I think there is sometimes there's tension, sometimes there's great times, but I suppose that, that's like any business, but at least after all, we're all related and we're doing it for the same reason. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you not find though that, yeah, your brother's involved, your dad's involved, other family members involved, that, that work and home life blur into one great big lump? Yeah, they do. I mean... Myself and Kath, luckily, um, we never have a wrong word. Um, and although we work in the business together, we're not sat on top of each other, so to speak. We're, we're yeah. in separate offices. I'm normally running around the factory like a madman, and Kath's sat behind a desk controlling stuff. So it's um, although we do work together, we see each other through the day, but we're not on top of each other all day long, as I say. So I think. When we go home, obviously, we have conversations about the business and about what's happened through the day, etc. But we also know we can switch off and we can say, right, that's it. We've just gone on holiday. And strangely enough, one of our oldest and best commercial customers ended up on the same ship as us. And we had a great time. And I think within the week we were with them, 
we, we maybe all spoke about business maybe for 10 minutes because as soon as they got on and everybody got together, we went for a beer and said, right, we're, we're not working, we're having a holiday, we're all friends out together and, and that's what we're doing. I think that's what you've got to sometimes do, put that differential between what is work and what is yeah. home life. And obviously sometimes it gets blurred. If you're having a tough time or if you're having a great time, you, you'll talk about it. But as long as you can at some point go, right, time out, we need to have a life as well. That's that's the hard yeah. part, really. But we, we, we do seem to manage it somehow. Okay, okay. Um, just going back, you mentioned um, like MP3s and, and CDs and vinyl. How, how has the business sort of coped with the way we, re- we, we receive and play music? Because I, I assume your product has to reflect what people are playing their music on. Yes, yeah. And I mean, in the early days, as I said, the business was formed in 78. And in all honesty, back then, my, my father and his partner then, unfortunately, Eddie passed away in 2014. He was 81 and he was still in the office quite a lot. Uh, as is my father, he's 78. He's in every day. He thinks I'm crazy because I like a Sunday off. Um, but <laughs> in 78, we developed a vinyl playing jukebox and the reason i mention eddie is because eddie literally put his hand in his pocket for 80 grand and on a handshake i'll say as well no no um big contracts no backing uh anything from my dad it was literally two people eddie had some money my dad had the the ingenuity, if you want, of the the mechanical e- electronics experience to do what he said he could do. Um, but Eddie took a big flyer on my father and said, look, if you think you can do it, I'll back you. I'll give you 80 grand and we'll, we'll get this going. And the deal was basically Eddie owned the business until the first jukebox left the factory to a paying customer. And at that point, there were 50-50. That was on a handshake and that saw them through till Eddie passed away, as I say, around 2014. And they were still great mates. I mean, we all used to go on holiday together. I used to call him my uncle, etc. So they'd, they put all this money in and launched the first jukebox in 1980. In 1982, Philips and Sony came on Tomorrow's World with this little silver disc and said, this is the future. So from going on a hundred years of everybody listening to vinyl in one format or another, whether it was the, the old cylinder, the 33, the 45, all of a sudden all that was thrown out of the water within two years. Thankfully, CD didn't become commercially viable until 1988. But from that stage on, they'd just gone through the high of launching really what was the first British built jukebox using British components, if you want. People had done it previously by bringing parts from America in and putting it into a wooden case in the UK. But really, it was the first time somebody had manufactured something from scratch in the UK. So they've gone through that euphoria of launching, everybody loving it, people buying it, and the business getting going. So all of a sudden, within 24 months, the rug being pulled from under the feet, saying what you've just developed and spent all this money on is now obsolete or it will be very shortly so 
on the plus side, when the CD machines came out in 1988, when we launched them, we also launched the world's first digital jukebox because my father and his team were looking at it saying, well, if, you, if you're digitizing something, you're taking the analog and you're putting it onto a CD and in the middle, you're sticking it onto a computer to stick it onto the CD. Why do you need the CD? Why don't you just use the computer? So that set them down a different line, which was probably 10 or 12 years of further development, licensing, etc. So I think as a business, what it did for us from very early days is it got everybody thinking about development and if something goes wrong or there's a hurdle in front of you, hopefully there's another option. You can you can have this bad news, but it's how you deal with that and it's how you get up and go again. And I think one of the things it's taught me is if somebody says you can't do something, I will prove them wrong. I will. It's, it's set me up from a very early stage to go, right, that is what's going on. How we're going to blast through this and how we're going to roll our sleeves up and get on with it. And I think once again, like a lot of businesses that came through COVID, there's been a lot of that going on. And I know I deal with a lot of people in this region and they've all got rolled their sleeves up and they've, they've all had to battle through and that's what they've done. So, yeah, so going back to the original question of, yes, we've, we've continued to develop. So we built 45 playing jukeboxes from probably about 1980. We built the last one in 1992. We thought that one was the end of vinyl, never to be seen again. CD started to take over from 88 we still build cd we've changed the mechanism of how we manufacture it and the the player mechanisms changed and it's been updated but it's still there digital video came out in 1998 we used a satellite downloading system we, we were beaming the music to site via french telecom uh via bt tower and and that was because you couldn't get a CD-ROM big enough to put the, the content on. The video clips were that large. We had to use satellite star and forward. So we did that. Then digital audio, due to licensing problems, became more viable. So by 2004, that was really the the link for that. And then you, you sort of like we've had a bit of a stalemate then, really. So we've been doing the digital for the commercial pubs. Uh, and locations home users were buying the classic jukeboxes which was really just a spin-off from what we intended to be commercial people started buying the these to go into the homes so they've been really cd and then in 2016 we started to hear about vinyl or, sorry 2014 we started to hear about a bit of a vinyl revival in america going on and literally went into one of our sheds and pulled out the old player mechanism and started to develop it again which was nice because the people that had set the business up so my, my dad's really his first two or three employees were his key men so he had dave barman and phil patterson both from leeds and himself who were really got all the mechanics and everything working on the early vinyl machines they were becoming they were coming up to their retirement age so they started on vinyl and the final project that they all finished on as a team was the vinyl playing jukebox which we relaunched in 2016 and they updated and brought it up to modern technology so the relay boards that were as big as this and now as big as my thumbnail we, we got rid of everything that could go wrong really from the early days um, but 
we now produce vinyl playing jukeboxes. We build LP players as well as vinyl uh, 45s. Alongside the CD machines, we still build the digital machines. In all honesty, I try and convince anybody who's buying one for the homes to stay away from digital and go for the vinyl or CD because it's got a bit more soul with it. Um, and they have Bluetooth on them, so you can stream anything you want through it anyway. But it's uh, so, yeah, so we've changed with the times. And it's not only been the jukeboxes that we've had to change, we've actually set up other divisions within the business as well to try and safeguard the business through quiet times, etc. You covered an enormous amount there. <laughs> I'm going to have to dig back into. Um, but we'll just just on your final point that you said there, you've now got other divisions. What else do you do? Yeah, so most people know us for the classic jukeboxes. Um, we also have a children's play division, and they supply distraction areas. So we're not doing big play bands. We're doing corners in hospitals, if you want. So if you're unlucky enough to have to go to... A hospital and you're in a waiting room we put small play equipment in there so it's things like beach tree tables where you get the table with a wire on it so the sl kids department came to or came into being really back in 2007 when the smoking ban hit the pubs so our main business at that point was as well as manufacturing jukeboxes we also have an operating division and they place the now digital jukeboxes into hospitality venues up and down the country so our teams go out and install the jukebox into the pub and then we do a rental or whatever uh, share of the cash that goes through it so we could see a decline come in um, when the smoking ban hit because people were getting a bit fed up with going into bars and people telling them what they could and couldn't do so we at that point thought there's going to have to be a change. Jukeboxes traditionally sat in a pool room in the tap room. So people could go in, they play pool, have a pound in the jukebox, have a smoke, drink, etc. So they'd had a bit of a beat in the pubs. And to be fair, you can't say banning smoking is a bad thing, like banning driving, cause, uh, drinking driving, that caused problems for us back 10 years prior to that. You can't say any of that's negative, but it affects businesses. So we looked at it and thought, right, we are going to see a lot of our machines coming out of these venues, these commercial venues. What do we do? Because we've got a team of people that are out there installing these things. How do we fill their time up? So previously, uh, we'd been manufacturing novelty machines that went into pubs um, and children's play areas. So we did a lot of work with Whitbreads and Tetleys in the early days, uh, supplying novelty machines for their Charlie Chalks and all these play bands that were really popular in, in the 90s. So we thought it's probably going to go back to being food-led and inviting families into the bars. And that's great because it's bringing families in and they're doing different things. But if you're in an eating house, you don't want the jukebox booming out next to you. So we went down the children's play area and we'd just done a project for a company in Holland and done some development work for them, some interaction, uh, interactive equipment with sounds and lights and et cetera on it. And they were really impressed with what we'd done. So they rang Michael up, my brother, who worked with them on the project and said, we're thinking of launching a children's play division, if you want, or a company to supply these distraction areas for toddlers mainly would you be interested in becoming our UK distributor? 
So it just fell into place, really, where we could then ring all these pub companies up and say, look, we understand this is happening. We know you'll be thinking about what you're going to do. If you're thinking about inviting families in for food, you'll want the kids to come to your venue, but you won't necessarily want them running all over the place and rolling around on the floor, tripping people up. If you could put a corner in, you can get them in that area, everybody's happy. And that's what happened, and it really took off, and it's 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 been fantastic. So so that was one of these things where you you hit with a blow, and you think, wow, what we're going to do? And now that division's still running. It's had a tough time through COVID. It's only reopened again in October last year, but month on month now it's really growing. We've got a great team in there. So we've got that division. The operating division's still going, sticking digital jukeboxes out, background music systems, speakers, etc., amplifiers into bars. So we're trying to spread the risk for the business, really. And that's, once again, something you have to do. And that's why we got into exporting, so that if the UK went quiet, Australia, America, China might, might be busier and we're just trying all the time just to keep thinking of what's the next thing you can do to offset risk basically right right i mean it's it's interesting doing kids play kids play stuff and, and jukeboxes in in the other corner um you mentioned export then so what's your what's your sort of split domestic uh international so we are running around it can anywhere be anywhere between 60 and 75 percent export so we are exporting a lot. So China at this moment is doing extremely well. Thailand has been. Japan's doing great. America. And then Europe as well. Uh, so France is a good, a, a real good market for us. So we just sent a container to Australia yesterday or the day before. I nearly got on it with the weather over here. I nearly went with them. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it it's good because once again, it's it's balancing out the risk of an election in a country where everything goes quiet or a downturn in one particular area. So it just helps sometimes just smooth out any dips or, or any troughs, really. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned COVID two or three times. Would you say that's the, the sort of biggest shit hitting the fan thing you've had in the business since you've been in? I'd say yes. As I'd also, I know you're probably not allowed to say it, but Brexit was a big one for us. It was a major, and then to get COVID straight on the back of that, um, we we did all sorts during COVID, manufactured all sorts of things to keep the team, especially in the wood shop, keep the dexterity and keep that team momentum going. Uh, when we came back, we got flooded with orders like a lot of different people like a lot of other companies we we were i think we went from having nothing on the books to having a 18 month lead time at one stage that's we've got back under control again now um but that was hard for us as a business because the classic side was booming we had the hospitality side that was destroyed um literally millions taken off the uh, income so, and then we had the children's division, the SL kids division, which once again, I said that only reopened in October last year. The, we had orders on our books from January 2020. We weren't allowed back in the hospitals till October last year. So it's been a struggle. Um, and thankfully, 
each year we've, we've, we've virtually come back stronger, but we're still getting through it. And it, it's, it was a nasty time. Thankfully, we had the support from the government and Leeds City Council were amazing with us, um, with rates and et cetera, and really jumped in and tried to help. So without all that, I think we'd have been in trouble. Like every other business, there's not many people can pay wages for a long time but we've got the team back we're all up and running again and we're, we're off we go we're, we're onwards and upwards again fantastic so brexit was a problem what just because of exporting issues and paperwork i'm guessing for us it initially um the biggest problem was because it never happened and it took 12 months i think we were supposed to leave in the march so we all rocked up after christmas coming in thinking, right, what the hell's going on? We've got 12 weeks to really not do anything because normally on our machines, we've got at least a 10 to 14 week lead time. So when we came back in the January, we did the normal ring round all the distributors, email them and say, right, here we go. You've all had a good Christmas, here's to the new year. And they all came back in Europe and said, well, we can't buy anything off you because we don't know what, how we'll get it into the country. We don't know what it'll cost us because by the time we've sold something over here and you've delivered it, whatever the 1st of March, 12th of March, whenever it was supposed to be, it will have gone and we might end up selling things cheaper than we bought it for. So you're going to have to bear with us for a few months. So we said, right, fine, that's okay. And then I think it moved out to the July or the August or the October, whenever it was, tried to blank that year out of my mind, to be honest. And then it ended up being the general election and everything else. And it would just, we, we, what we did is we tried to hold on to all our team while we were going quiet, thinking, well, we're only 12 weeks away. We'll, all right, we'll take a hit. We'll come back. Well, we took a hit and then we took another hit and then we took another hit. So it wasn't a nice time because they kept moving the goalposts. Obviously, then after, we then had the problems with the transport and then, but then everything, to be honest, after that went into the oblivion anyway because COVID hit within sort of like a couple of months and all we, all we went again was uh, down that line of what's going on with everybody else. So literally, you're just starting now to get through the Brexit thing. Um and it is a pain. I don't care what anybody says. It's a pain. Um, it's cost a lot of businesses a lot of money. Um, we used to do exhibitions in Holland, and it's a nightmare to get machines in and out of there now. All the Dutch guys used to come to our exhibitions in the UK. We've not seen anybody exhibit from Europe in the UK uh, for our exhibitions for as long as I can remember now, because they just can't be bothered with all the paperwork and the, the complexities. It's one of those things we have to get on with it. And that's what we'll do. Once again, it's roll your sleeves up and just try and, but it is just another hassle. Right, right. Okay, okay. Now, before we get on to you uh, teaching us your how-to for this, uh, this week's episode, um, I want to tell everybody about the Leeds Business Podcast Gentlemen's Agreement. So it's a two-part agreement. My half of the agreement is I bring every week, I bring inspiring, interesting, and just fascinating people here for you to listen to and watch for free, totally for free. Your half of the deal has three simple steps. Number one, 
I want you to share this podcast with just one person who you think will get value from it. Number two, I want you to post a review of the show at either Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And number three, I want you to give this episode a like. That's all I need you to do. Fair deal? You think it's a fair deal, Chris? Sounds all right to me, as long as I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chris, you've got, to, you've got to give it a like as well. You're, you're part of the deal. Yeah, fair enough, yeah. Okay. Okay, okay. okay. So every week we ask our guests to give us a quick how-to. So, Chris, over to you. Right, yeah, you asked me this, and you were talking about all sorts of things about how to get out of the business, what's your end game, and there's a lot of things, obviously, running a business that you can do. First of all, I'd say not everybody needs an end game. I think if you like what you're doing, and just crack on and get on with it, and when you get ready for it, yes, you can make your decision, but... I think I listen to too many people that set a business up and say, oh, well, within five years, this is where I'll be. And that's great if you're that type of person and you just want to get in and you want to get out. There's a lot of people in business that are doing it because it's what they love to do. And going to work does not feel like working. However, I think there's a more important thing is it's, A, I think you need to surround yourself with good people. I think you need good advice. You need some time to chill out as well because... I couldn't work 23 hours a day, in all honesty. I can keep going and I can get a buzz and a rush off it, and I will do. So I think being able to go out and just enjoy other people away from the business. So we talked about earlier on about, especially with the family business where everybody's involved, it's hard to go around to my parents on a Sunday sometimes and talk about stuff if we've had a bad week and my mum will be sat in the corner with her head in her hands going, right, okay. I think it's getting a an outlet to do something different. So whether it's swimming or going out on a bike or on a walk or just having some something you like doing away from the business and always remembering that you can do that. So if you want to go cycling or, as I say, walking and get out and just free your mind... I've just started swimming again. I love it. And every time I come out of the gym or I go swimming, I always come out. I never regret going. I regret getting up at quarter to six on a rainy morning sometimes thinking, what the hell am I doing? But I never walk out of there feeling any worse for going because it gives you time to think. It gives you time to talk to other people about different things. So I think my top tip really is to just keep yourself grounded and actually talk to people. And if you've got a problem... Give somebody a shout because I think sometimes if you're in a business, you can be very at the top all alone and you don't have to feel like that. There's that many organisations out there where people can talk to people. And I like to go for a beer on a Friday night and see some of my friends. A lot of them own businesses and we all just offload. Everybody's going through the same stuff at the minute. It's, uh, it's either trying to find staff members Literally, you name it, it'll be energy costs in the next couple of months going through the roof again. Everybody is going through the same stuff. And my biggest thing is talk to people, get something that you can do, as I say, away from the business, just to give your mind that reset. Because normally it's not as bad as it seems. <laughs> and we all have a bad day and you just need to offload sometimes. Fantastic, fantastic. And actually, there's a couple of things you said in there. I mean, 
talking to somebody else. I mean, that's what I do. You've mentioned it. It's, you know, it doesn't have to be lonely at the top. And, and that's what I do as, as my business offering is to sit with business owners like yourself and, and be that receptor for the download. But also once you've downloaded it, it's a lot easier to then discuss with somebody what potential solutions are. And again, as you said, yeah. most businesses tend to have the same sort of problems. You know, your, your bit, the problem your business is facing at the moment is not unique. Other people have the same problem. Um, and again, you mentioned swimming. I, I swim as well. It's great for just emptying your brain because there's nothing to think about. You're just going up and yeah. down, up and down, up and down. No, no. And if you're wired like me, that is hard, I can tell you, because I like to be doing things. It's, I prefer cycling to walking because if I'm walking anywhere, I always think if I were on my bike, I could be another mile down that road now. I'd be, I'd be getting nearer to wherever I need to go. So that's how I am. But I think it's just giving you that opportunity, as I say, just to do something different, speak to different people. And normally, and especially with men who are obviously uh, renowned for not talking to anybody. I think the easiest thing sometimes is to bump into somebody who you don't know and just have a conversation. And in a different environment, it makes life easier. Uh, I think the other good thing for us, and I think everybody should do, is have a, a good board around them. So you can have a non-exec board and bring them in, the people who you trust, who can help you and guide you. And once again, family business, a lot of the time it can turn into a squabble because A says this and B says that. But if you've got a board of people around you, that's fine because they just sit in and go, right, no, this is what we're going to do or this is what we think you should do. We've listened to both sides. So I think it's really good to take pressure off yourself by having a board around you. And once again, you're sharing the problems and you're sharing the stress. And yeah, that's it, I think. It's a, it's a good one just to talk to people. Yeah, no, that's fantastic advice because you've got somebody independent. So there's no, there's no family politics. It's just somebody who's looking at it as a business and going, yeah. this, is, this is where we should be going. That's great. Um, I'm conscious that people, people who've been listening to you might think, do you know what? I'd love a jukebox. Now, you told me before, you can come around to your factory and have a tour, can't we? Definitely, yes. We The doors are open. So on this site here, uh, we're in Crossgates. We have the showroom that I'm sat in now. We have the main factory. So we have our woodworking, metalworking. We have an external company that we also have uh, shares in, which is a vac farming business. Uh, we have another metalworking company that works very closely with us in-house. We've got electronics. We've got, you name it, Basically, a piece of wood comes in one end, all the electronics, all the amplifiers, everything comes together. We have, we have a branch in Nottingham that does the floor soldering machines and pick and placement machines. They ship everything up here to us. But, yeah, it's a good experience, and we have a lot of schools around and colleges. We work really closely with the UTC um, on Hunslet Road and, and Leeds City College, and we have John Smeaton around the corner, local school. We had... I think 30 kids from there um, here about two weeks ago. So we're trying to promote manufacturing in the region and anything we can do, not only to promote ourselves, but also to promote manufacturing as a whole. Because one thing that does wind me up more than anything is when people say we don't build anything in the UK anymore. 
and in Leeds with the third largest manufacturing zone, if you want, or sector in, in the UK. And if you throw Bradford into the mix as well as we're punching well above our weight and we're bringing a lot of jobs, we're bringing a lot of wealth into the, the area. And I think manufacturing as a whole needs that boost and it needs people to support it. Over the years, we've had so many governments trying to get everybody to go to university, which is great. If you want to go to university, fantastic. My el sorry, my youngest son is at university now. If he hadn't have gone, I'd have killed him. He's, he's wired for it. My youngest lad is working with me here, and if he'd have gone, I'd have killed him because that's not how he learns. Some people need to do apprenticeships. So we've got 10% of our workforce are apprentices and we're teaching them skills that will outlive sound leisure. You never know, it'll outlive me. So whatever they do, these 18 year olds, they can go off and they will earn money wherever they are because they will be able to work with their hands. And the the we've got some great lads in here and girls that are working here. And that's the other thing, we've got to promote manufacturing more to females um it, it's unbelievable i think there's a what shall i say i think a lot of people think manufacturing's dirty and it's not safe and it's if you walk around our factory it's clean it's well lit everybody's having a nice time the majority of the time the obviously what we're building they can have some pride in what they're building um but when you look our wood shops run by diane who worked here with a husband who's unfortunately he's just retired. He was one of our lead hands on the in the joiner's shop. And we've got Kath who's running our operations. We've got Helen and Casey who are in the factory. Helen's running the factory. Casey's one of our up and coming stars. Accounts is run by a lady. So we believe that no matter whatever you are, you've got a place in our business. Whoever you are, you've got a place in our business. And manufacturing has changed so much in the last 20 years, it's unbelievable. And we need salesmen, we need accountants. It's not all about oil and grime. And yeah, you'll go into some factories and that's what it is. But manufacturing businesses can offer a lot. You can travel the world with them. They're exporting, they're very forward thinking. And there's a lot of small SMEs in, in this region that are screaming for people <laughs> to go work with them. So what they're doing is they're getting involved with the Leeds Manufacturing Alliance and Festival, and they're going into schools and they're going into colleges and talking to parents and teachers and literally saying to people, just come and have a look round our buildings and we'll show you what's going on. We run the Apprentice Fair, um, they had 8,000 people at that in February this year. So Leeds City Council are backing it. The Chamber are. It's Everybody's behind this push to try and get people into apprenticeships if it suits them. But don't just think you've got one channel that you've got to go and you, you're not letting yourself down by learning on the job. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean... You, that's a great piece of PR for somebody who wants to get into manufacturing or apprenticeships. I think I think those who don't manufacture probably still think it's the industrial revolution, and it's it's like it's like like in Peaky Blinders where you got you know bits of sparks coming out of every uh, every. Uh... No, you're right, and I think 
yeah, you're right. And I think there's, there's look, there's a lot going on. There's, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking here in, in our factory in a couple of weeks' time, we've got some German distributors coming over. In October, I've got people in this building that will be coming from Thailand, from America, from Japan, from China, from France, Austria, Switzerland, all coming into Leeds just because we're building jukeboxes and they're coming for a distributor update. Now, even if you're on the shop floor in our factory here, you're part of that team, you'll be welcoming these people. And if that doesn't give you a buzz to think that wherever you, this, these machines are going worldwide, that must give you something because I know it does for me. I can't wait to get everybody in and it, you know, I feel proud as punch to get everybody thinking they're flying in from all over the world to see us in Yorkshire. And then they're going to go away and put our machines into houses all over the world and people know that it's the best of British manufacturing. And I think that's, to me, what keeps it going. And that's what that's what I thrive on anyway. Fantastic, fantastic. So just go back to my original question. If somebody wants to come and have a tour around the factory, how do they get, how do they arrange that? Yeah, so the factory, um, we open the factory. So we've got things like the Heritage Open Day where we get involved with that. So we have up to 50 people. We hold networking events here, so people come in and actually use our space to hold networking events. But if you just want to come round and have a look, there's no pressure. Um, you just give us a call or you drop us an email. If you go to our webpage, which is soundleisure.com, there is a box on there that you can arrange a factory visit on. And we'll show you around. We'll show you what we do. We're proud of what we do. We want people out there to spread the word about us, so we're not going to get you in a room and not let you out until you buy one. What we're saying is the more people that know about what we do, the more people will buy from us because they know that they're being made here as well. Fantastic. There will be, there will be a link down in the show notes for your, uh, for your URL there. And I've seen these machines. I saw your uh, exhibition in Victoria Gate and... They are fantastic. They're absolutely fantastic. And I will, I'll be coming around to look as well. Um, before we finish up, um, before we finish up, all of our guests get the opportunity to give a Leeds business a shout out. So Chris, who do you want to give a shout out to? I think I'd do it to Team Vac Farm, who, as I say, they rent space from us around the back of our factory here. And they're a vac farming company. And they're a young business. Uh, say young, they've probably been going about 10 years. But they've got a young team in there. They're expanding. And anybody who needs any vac farming, doing vacuum farming with plastics, they do a lot of the work on our jukeboxes for us. They're a good team and they're growing quickly. And I think they're worth a, definitely a shout out on the lead scene. Okay. Uh, for all the idiots, including myself, what's vac farming? So if I can show, oh, wow. Right. So literally flat piece of plastic we'll go with which has, we have a big vac farming machine, which heats the plastic. You put a tool into the plastic. So when the material's pliable, the tool pops up. There's a vacuum pump underneath the, the tool in. So the tool in's got very fine holes in it. The vacuum turns on, sucks down the, the plastic round the tool. And literally, that's what you end up with. You get the shape of the tool into a black, uh, into a vac farm. So if you go to a, a petrol station, for instance, and they've got the, the yellow plastic cover on saying we've run out of petrol uh, over the petrol pump, that, that will be a vac farm. It'll be a piece of plastic that's just formed into a shape and 
these things are used all over. So we use a lot of um, forms on the jukeboxes. These guys do work for so many industries, anything from trays to, I don't know, air conditioning systems to motorbike components, you name it, these guys can build it. And uh, it, it's quite an amazing process to watch what, what they do. So if you come to the factory, that's an area that you can have a look around. It's definitely worth a look. There you go. A bit of education for everybody to understand what vac forming is. Chris, thank you ever so much. It's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you. Cheers. No problem at all. Thank you ever so much. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you found it both interesting and of use. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please subscribe to the show. Go on, do it now. Do it now before you go off and do something else. Much appreciated. Oh, and don't forget our gentleman's agreement. See you next week. <laughs>